0: Welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Richer Geek Podcast. Today, we have Bob Bernadis. Bob is a franchise expert. He's president of FranchiseWithBob.com. It's a great name if your name is Bob and you deal with (laughs) franchises. Um, He's one of the nation's top franchise consultants. He's passionate about helping people achieve greatest level satisfaction. He's got years of experience guiding clients toward top performing franchise brands, Uh, He has personalized guidance and support throughout the entire process, which is important. Whether you're looking for exit strategies from corporate life or semi-passive opportunity, Bob's here to help you find your perfect match and create a brighter future. Bob, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, Mike. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. You know, just trying to stay cool. Um, So, Talk about you know franchises are all over the board. First, you know a little bit about your history. What do you do? Where you come from? How you got into franchises? Then we'll dig into uh,
1: what you do. Oh my goodness, I'm not going to delve too deeply into that. But let's see. I grew up on a farm, so I am a a Pennsylvania farm boy. Uh, learned my work ethic from that uh, at at the uh, at the hand of my dad, uh, but got into franchising pretty early. Uh, Beg, borrow, and stole to get into my first one. It was a West Coast Video franchise. If you remember the video <laughs> industry, uh, they actually preceded Blockbuster and. Uh, first one I opened was on Wayne and Shelton Avenues in the, in Philadelphia and uh just by sheer luck I think I got the right location and that mm-hmm. I opened in December of 1986 and that franchise was the top unit in the chain in January of 1987 so that allowed me to move forward and acquire some more West Coast video franchises I, I think you know what happened to that mm-hmm. industry. I fortunately sold at a, a kind of a good time, so I was able to get out without without too much damage. But it it was a nice ride. Well, it lasted. Uh, got involved in uh, an independent business that I started, uh, which didn't go as well as my franchise businesses. Uh, but then I got involved in a, in another franchise concept called Hollywood Tans and had a bunch of those in the Maryland market. Sold those to uh, acquire controlling interest of a larger chain that was based in. Uh, in uh, Sioux City, Iowa, moved to corporate headquarters to uh, Omaha, Nebraska, because I wasn't about to live next to a pig processing, processing plant in, <laughs> in, in in Sioux City, Iowa. Uh, but uh, anyway, long story short, we ended up selling that company to a... And that was a tanning uh, tanning salon uh, chain called Tan World. We ended up selling it to Suntan City. And I moved on, uh, and then more recently, I, uh, I I've been consulting for a a bunch of years as well, and I acquired a, another franchise more recently, more of a service-oriented brand.
0: So let's talk about franchises in general. Uh, you know, we can talk about some of the pros and some of the cons, but why franchises? You know, a lot of our listeners uh, do passive investing or or general partnership in real estate. And uh, your focus is saying, you know, why invest in real estate because franchises outperform
1: them? Tell us a little bit about that and why. Well, look, you you know, with real estate, depending upon the, the type you get into and depending upon if you're going to manage it yourself, I mean, you're at a different level with hotels, you're running a serious business with real estate. But most people and a lot of the clients that I work with, they have real estate and it could be you know some single family homes some duplexes multiplexes whatever uh and often they are either managing it themselves and they're spending a lot of time doing it or they're hiring a management company to handle that to handle that for them uh, what i've also found with my real estate investor clients is that m- most are not making money. They don't have positive cash flow because of the the debt that they're carrying on it. But they're riding the equity train. And if you if they got on that train prior to COVID, and they rode uh, the two and a half years during COVID, they're in a pretty good pretty good place. But that's an anomaly. That's not always happening. What I like about franchising, why well, I, ca- I, I counsel many of my my clients that you know it might be a better fit for them. Is that you can build equity so much more quickly in a franchise business? I'll touch on that in a second. But in addition to that, your your cash flow—I uh, mean, if you get into right franchise, the right franchise—the cash flow is infinitely better than what you're going to see uh, from an ROI perspective than uh, than with with real estate. Uh, the if you get it, but but you're you're often trading some of your time for a, a much much better cash flow. With with semi-passive franchise investing, meaning franchise companies, certain ones have set up models, and that's the trend in franchising more recently. If you go back 20 years ago, you just did not see that many of these franchises like that. The interesting trend, I'm watching franchise investors that would typically get into restaurants, difficult business or boutique fitness or some type of uh, brick and mortar retail type concept, put a manager in place and manage the manager. I'm seeing a shift now from franchise investors from that type of model into more service-oriented businesses. The reason being more and more of these franchise companies have saw the light And they have developed the tools or the platform necessary to support franchisees at a higher level so they can get into something, maybe spend 10, 12, 15 hours a week getting it up and running. For the most part, 99% of franchises that you launch, even if you start it on a full-time basis, they will become part-time and then eventually limited part-time. But the semi-absentee or semi-passive type franchises, they develop the tools so you can start that way so you can build it you can you don't have to necessarily walk away from a high income job uh and and that's that was really the focus of these franchise companies they wanted to attract a higher level of investor that might be earning several hundred thousand dollars a year they're not going to walk away from their job but they want to start building an exit ramp cuz they're also working 60 70 hours a week can't see their kids and they know they can't maintain that pace forever if that makes sense
0: yeah it does cuz you know i I've- at some point my wife was looking at franchises and she was like, well, and she saw that the different levels, there was uh, like the super cuts where you could just go in and buy this place and you put the, the stylus in and you kind of manage it. But then there were some where they actually insisted, no, you have to be an owner operator and you have to be in there. And she was like, why would they ever do that? That's not what a franchise is, is about um how do you go about making sure that it is a right fit for your type of personality yeah. or you know because some people say well this is my passion i'm going to do a scuba diving franchise and well right sometimes a lot of times passions don't
1: don't pan out yeah and that's a fantastic point uh, I, I would say more often than not that that's the case. Uh, I, I love it when a client, and I always ask the question up front of a of a new client that I start working with. Uh, you know, I, I try to I try to drill down on what's most important to them, what they want to accomplish, what their goals are in this. So I always ask the question, There's two distinctly different type of people. One type of person, for lack of a better term, I call them ideologues. These are people who are interested in a certain type of business because they have a passion for it. Maybe people love their dogs, so they want to be in some pet-related business. It doesn't matter to them if they make much money doing it. As long as they can do that activity, it's going to make them happy. On the other end of the spectrum, I have what I call my show-me-the-money people, Often franchise investors, they own other franchises, they're savvy about franchising, they're looking for ROI earnings, they don't care what the widget is as long as it's something that's ethical, provides a valued service to the community, and nine times out of 10, they're looking for something that's semi, semi-passive. And I always ask the client, where, which, which one on the spectrum do you fall closer to? I'd prefer to work with the one, the the latter one uh, that is looking for ROI earnings and it's not focused on the widget because if you get into something, and and you probably know the book, The E-Myth, and it talks about this. If you get into something that you might be passionate about, you may learn to hate your passion if it becomes a grind, right? And so I'm always cognizant of that when talking to a candidate. If making money is important to you let's perhaps just try to keep an open mind, put your passion on the back burner, and let's look at things first and foremost that you're going to be able to make a living with.
0: How hard is it for you to, because sometimes these franchise, the people that come to you, if they're not looking um, for their passion, but one of the things is I want to sell cupcakes, you know, for instance, and there's some franchises out there and they want to put it in a high rent district. And I'm thinking, it's like, how many thousands of cupcakes do you have to sell just to break even? Is that something that you guide them through? It's like, look, you know, you can't put, go into a $40 square foot place and sell cupcakes or, or, you know, it may not work out that way.
1: Exactly, and often it's not just forty; it's sixty, it's eighty, it's a hundred dollars a square feet. Uh, brick and mortar retail for some concepts it works; for other concepts, mm-hmm. it, it becomes a grind because of the overhead that you are that you're carrying. Mm-hmm. Again, there's over four thousand different franchise concepts out there. Honestly, I wouldn't go near two thirds of them they scare me but there's some really good concepts that people can get into if they know where to look now having listened to a couple of your podcasts you uh, said something that was very insightful don't try to do this on your own when mm-hmm. you talked about when you talked about real estate and i would counsel anybody the same thing it is too easy to make a mistake and i will tell you if i didn't just get I'm lucky on my first franchise. I could have made a major mistake. I, I on the second franchise that I chose, eh, it wasn't probably the best. I, I if I had somebody to work with like myself that had the experience in the industry, mm-hmm. just really didn't exist back then. Uh, I, I probably would have been a heck of a lot better off. And, and it's it's a shame because so many people get into franchising not knowing what they're really getting into and end up getting burned with it. But if you get into the right franchise concept, there's some phenomenal opportunities out there.
0: So let's talk about what your sweet zone is. Um, you know, in your notes, there's some excellent opportunities that you're seeing. Uh, you, you get get into for under two hundred thousand dollars and and they're pretty lucrative. What type of franchises are those?
1: Yeah, so uh, the category that is reasonably priced, Mm -hmm. And there's great opportunities in the category. Is anything having to do with what's called the home service category? Now, Mm -hmm. that's a catch-all category. There's things in there that are B2B, and often many of the things that are B2C also cross over into B2B. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just as an example, I have placed over the course of the last year and a half, a a lot of my clients into something that you want to talk about boring it's a gutter concept they install gutters on homes buildings what have you uh but the average franchisee and i, I can't talk about numbers on this but mm-hmm. if you're they knock it out of the park uh and and the investment on this concept is in that 150 to 200k range what i like about these types of concepts is that If, for instance, if you looked at like an Orange Theory or you looked at a a Crumble Cookie, which Mm -hmm. these are two real popular franchises, right? You're going to spend somewhere between $750 to a million dollars to open one. Mm -hmm. If you open a second one, $750 to a million dollars. If you open a third one, $750 to a million dollars, whereby I like things that are scalable at a lower cost that you're really for instance like that that gutter concept that i mentioned and again not that i'm going to show anyone someone a gutter concept but they may like it right. but that gutter concept it might be 150k to open one territory up and running with that concept the second territory with that concept is $40,000 so you're buying a second franchise you're just buying more dirt a third franchise is $30,000 so now you tripled the size of your territory, in effect, tripling what your financial upside can be. And you have, by scaling that way, horizontally scaling, you just created something that can outperform an orange theory that you would spend much, much more money for. But then there's also, with this this category of franchising, an opportunity to scale vertically. Now, what I mean by that is... Someone can decide, let's say you're two years into operating your gutter business and you decide, you know what? I want to launch another business. I developed this customer base that knows and trusts my first brand. I want to introduce another concept to them. You can add a second franchise, let's say, for lack of a better one, a a fencing concept and just superimpose it. You buy the same territory with the fencing franchise, superimpose it on the same landmass, introduce that concept. To the customer base that already knows and trusts your first concept, you're gaining economies of scale. Your cost of customer acquisition is going down. You're just running a more efficient business. Now you can start to scale into multiple concepts over time. That's where I'm seeing the real movement with franchise investors, savvy people, been in franchising, used to be just brick and mortar retail. Now, seismic shift coming over to categories like that.
0: Yeah, and I think that's an important concept, especially if you don't have to um, just spend so much up front. And, and, you know, let's discuss a little bit about when uh, she was looking at, my wife was looking at franchises, I was just amazed of the franchise costs. You know, just the nickel and diming every month, and then marketing, and then national sales and marketing, and then Tech support and just it just went on and on and on and on yeah. on yeah. the nickel and diming. How can you, you know, talk a little bit about that and
1: and how you overcome that or look, you know, go ahead. It's that, that great point, and that is often a stumbling block with a lot of my clients. But it really depends upon the franchise because some companies they overcharge fees. There's just too much in it. But the ones that do it right. Those types of fees are pass throughs. They're not making money on those things. Okay. They're doing, if you had to go out and acquire those services to do the same things that these franchise companies are providing to you, you would typically pay, pay much more. As an example, a lot of companies now have set up national call centers. So let's say, for instance, with that gutter concept, again, just an example. You plug into their prescribed marketing and advertising that they already have down to a science, they know Mm -hmm. works. The phone starts to ring, the emails start to come in. Rather than you having staff that answers the phone, you can't do it with one person. You need redundancy. You need to cover all the hours. People get sick, people leave. So you need multiple people to do that. So what this company does is they have a national call center. So all those calls and emails go directly to the call center. The call center... Monetot turns that into an appointment for your salesperson. They're on the same software platform that you have. They see the schedule of your salesperson or your salespeople. They schedule for them. Your salesperson goes out, wins the job, and uh, schedules the labor. So that's one example. Another example would be uh, there's uh, one of the companies that I work with. They have seven brands in their portfolio. Uh, all service-related brands, but they they literally bought their own recruiting company. So they charge a fee of $2,000 upfront, 1995 upfront. And I actually had a, a recruiter who who came into that system, became a franchisee with them. And she said, that would have cost me $20, $25,000 to hire the people through an agency that they just brought to me for two thousand dollars, so you gain economies of scale. The better companies, those types of things, are just purely pass-throughs. They're not. They're not making money on them. The better franchise companies make money in really in one area, and that's their that's their royalty fee that they charge. Most companies are actually losing money up front. The okay. ones that are doing it right. Because of what it takes to launch a new franchise, a, a new franchisee, because of the resources and the, and the investment they need to make into the franchisee. As time goes on, a year or two years down the line, they're putting very little effort into them at that point.
0: Yeah, and, and that makes sense. It's it's the investment up front for these people, and they want you to succeed because of the cost of of training.
1: Correct. And they they have a vested interest in your success. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're earning their, their money based on the volume that you do. So if they're, you know, considering a couple different franchisees in for the same market, which often happens with the ones that are selling quickly, they're going to choose the franchisee or the prospective franchisee that they feel can generate $3 million from this territory as opposed to the one that they feel would generate maybe $1 million from mm-hmm. this territory. And that's where I can help uh, candidates that I work with. Uh, look, I've been in the industry forever. These franchise companies know me. They want to keep me happy too. And they want me to keep, continue to bring people to them. So often my candidates will get first preference over if I run into a competitive situation for a territory, my, my candidates usually win out.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, Your website and everybody, it is franchisewithbob.com. We've been talking about some franchises. We've been talking about some pros and cons. Let's talk about what you do. If one of our listeners says, hey, I want to talk with Bob. Let's talk about your program and what happens when someone reaches out to you.
1: Okay. Well, anybody can go to my website, uh, franchisewithbob.com, and just they can schedule a call with me. The first call that I typically spend with with a candidate is a getting to know you call 20 to 30 minutes. And uh, that's exactly what it is, a getting to know you call. I'm trying to assess your situation to see if it makes sense for us to work together. Mm -hmm. First of all, my service is free to any candidate that I work with. I'm actually, if you qualify and we work together, my service is free. I'm compensated by franchise companies for bringing qualified candidates to them. If you can imagine, most of these companies, or a lot of them, they advertise online on portals. They pay to be on portals. 95% of the people coming to them through their portals end up not being qualified. So the better companies typically work with someone like me, because anybody I put in front of them, they will be fully qualified for their, for their concept. And so if you're a Candidate that I work with, and we take you through the process and they approve you for a franchise and you go forward with the franchise, then they will compensate me at the at the end of that Mm -hmm. at that process. So to answer your question, if if I engage with someone, if it makes sense for us to work together, we'll probably spend eight, 10, 12, maybe 14 weeks together. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I take you through a structured process. The first step is a confidential questionnaire. It's gonna take you maybe 20, 30 minutes to complete, but that gives me the initial information I need on a candidate to start doing my job properly. Uh, We would schedule a consultation, uh, which would spend about an hour on a Zoom call together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will review the confidential questionnaire together. I'll have lots of questions for you. I'm basically building a profile of who you are. So once that call is completed, I digest all the information that I collected. Uh, I I put together usually a two or three page profile. I use that to start matching people with with concepts that I think will be a good fit. I may start out with my several dozen different concepts um, that I think will be a good fit. And I do my territory checks in the area. I actually have a list of what I consider my favorite some of my favorite brands that I would consider investing in. There's 71, I think, on that list now. And and again, I'm on that far right of the list. ROI earnings, don't care what the widget is, looking for semi-absentee, as long as it's ethical, provides a valued service to the community. So I automatically do a check on my top brands that I really like. And then I also include brands that that my candidates steering me towards. So then on the next Zoom call that we do, and that one typically will take about 75 minutes, I'll probably have it narrowed down to maybe a half dozen or so brands that I will introduce to them. On that call, we'll go through each brand. I will have sent them to them in in an email prior to the call. We'll review each one. I'll answer any questions they have on those brands. I'll give you my opinion on the brands, and then we'll try to isolate it down to start with maybe two, possibly three to take a deeper dive into. And then once we do that, I make an introduction to those, I, I introduce my candidate to those brands, which means I send, them, uh, I send the brands information on my candidate. I also call the brands and explain why this candidate's going to make a great asset to their organization because I'm trying to position them to be approved by the franchise. Uh, the, the company will reach out to the candidate right away by email. They'll send them, uh, a, a calendar link to schedule a time for zoom time, but they'll send them a whole bunch of information that they can review in, in the meantime, once they engage with a brand and they start to go through a discovery process to learn about the brand and for the brand to to learn about them. I'm talking to my candidates usually a couple of times a week. We're just talking on a regular basis. That's why I really can't take on too many candidates at once. It becomes kind of overwhelming for me. So I try to keep it to a, to a limit of a reasonable amount. And, uh, and consequently, you know, and I also want to work with people I like. And so if we click, I'll work with the candidate. If, If they don't appreciate what I'm bringing to the table, then I often don't. Because again, I mean, this is such a a valuable valuable service. I wish I had it when I broke into franchising. Uh, And it's absolutely free to them. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, why not do it, right? Um, It's it's like what I always say about the mentorship and, and, you know, just business consultants, all this sort of stuff. You need to get help. uh, Because... You're either going to spend money one way, or you're going to spend money the other way, and and I'd rather spend money winning, right. exactly. you know, instead of failing. Speaking of failing, um, industry news and things like that say most uh, a great percentage of people that go into franchising fail. Um, various reasons. What are some of the reasons that you see that maybe you could tell our listeners? It's like, look. You know, this is why people fail. This is what you need to do to make sure that to help you to succeed.
1: Okay, so let's touch on that. That's important. Um, mm-hmm. From a statistical standpoint, there was a, a study done by uh, Chamber of Commerce a, a number of years back, and they basically tracked a whole bunch of independent mom and pop businesses that all opened around the same time they tracked them for a five-year period. Mm-hmm. They concurrently tracked A whole bunch of franchises, different franchises that open around that same period of time for that same concurrent five-year period. At the end of five years, the independent businesses, 48% were still up and operating, which actually surprised me. I didn't think it was going to be that high. Mm -hmm. Of the franchises, 97% were actually still in operation. Mm -hmm. Now, some of them have turned over and had different ownership at that point, but still 97% were still in operation. Now, some may have not have not been making money at that point some may have been breaking breaking even it's it is easy to make a mistake and choose the right franchise I uh, the wrong franchise but there are incredibly strong opportunities as well the reason why people fail in franchising if it's a good system mm-hmm. and the preponderance of franchisees are succeeding in that system the reason somebody fails there's either, uh there's some extenuating circumstances there's illness there's divorce there's death i actually had a candidate you know uh, god bless his soul he he died he signed up for a franchise died and his wife didn't want to run it and she contacted me right away and we helped her get it get it sold uh but if if it's a if it's a reputable company with a strong model There's no way that you shouldn't succeed if the preponderance of franchisees are succeeding unless, and the companies are also, the better ones are pretty selective with who they accept as franchisees. I mean, often people get get turned out by it. So if they think you can succeed and you have the capital to do this properly, they will, they'll approve you. Mm -hmm. Now,
0: in any type of business, when you go into uh, working for yourself, you need a team and I'm a big proponent of a team. What kind of a a team do franchise owners need that from day one, you need, you know, the bookkeeper, the accounting, the attorney, you know, these type of team. And where is that checklist to kind of like make sure, Hey, you got to have this insurance. You got to do this. You got to have correct accounting. Uh, What are some of the, who are
1: the team members that franchise owners need? Yeah, well, and that's a great question also. Uh, I mean, I, I always, uh, ha- I have some franchise attorneys. I always recommend more for peace of mind than anything else. Franchise companies aren't going to make changes to their to their franchise agreement. Uh, in some cases, when it comes to territory, there may be some negotiating room and so forth, but it's always good to talk with a franchise attorney mm-hmm. just so, if nothing else, for peace of mind. Uh, you do not want to use an attorney that's not a franchise attorney. You'll end up spending more money because they're going to educate themselves on your dime, and often they're going to make mistakes. So use a franchise uh, attorney. Uh, an accountant evaluating the business, I would say not so much. I, I think a good accountant, once you get into the business, so you can maximize the the tax uh, uh, ramifications of, of having a business. And obviously there's a lot of benefit to being able to ha- tax benefits to, to having a business. Um, but the franchise companies also, the better ones, they will have a list. They'll have a whole bunch of people that they will connect you with, or, or I should say, uh, you know, partners that they're going to connect you with. Um, it, it, franchising today is a business in a box. At least with the better companies, uh, anything that you could possibly think of in terms of setting up an entity, and they will give you guidance with that. And I can certainly give guidance with that. I mean, and, and it might be some differences in the entity you set up depending upon how your capital, uh, you're capitalizing your company. For instance, if you're gonna if you're going to do a four hundred one k rollover, basically take funds from your four hundred one k or an IRA if eligible to do it. Without extracting funds, you're basically rolling funds from your your 401k or IRA into a business without taxation, without penalty, without interest, but it has to be done in a certain way. It has to roll into a C-corp. So there's entities that will help you set that up and then make sure you stay in compliance with it. Did I answer your question or did I ramble?
0: Yeah, no, no, you you did. Uh, I was just seeing how it compared because, you know, a lot of people- when they go into business for themselves, um, well, I need to save money. So they try to do everything themselves and they don't yep. delegate. And that gets a lot of people in trouble yep. and it causes burnout.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the better franchise companies, the last thing they want you doing is whatever the service actually is. They want you scaling, building and scaling a business If you, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. I mean, you go back 30 years, there was a great company, a very, very successful uh, service company in franchising called Certa Certa Pro Painters. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their initial model was to seek out painters and make them franchisees. They quickly discovered that was a horrible idea. Painters did not make good franchisees. So then they reset, looked at their model, evaluated and reset and decided, hey, we're just going to look for smart people that have people skills, that have the financial wherewithal to to execute upon our model, and they're driven people. Mm-hmm. Their their concept just blew up after that, and they were wildly, wildly successful. And, and the companies, uh, the, the last thing you want to do is be chained to whatever the business is. I mean, Look, what I do now with with uh, that's why I also invest in franchises because I want to eventually back off what I'm doing because this is linear income. When I do it, I make money. If I stop doing it, I stop making money. When you're doing a job, you're making money. When you stop doing it, you stop making money. With a franchise, the whole point is, in my opinion, get it launched. Maybe you put some time into it to get it going, but as you a, a, as it develops, you're putting less and less time into it, and you're scaling it larger and larger.
0: Mm-hmm yeah that makes a lot of sense bob so where else can people find you
1: uh just simply go to my website at franchisewithbob.com uh you can book right on there some time with me if you want to have a discussion uh we'll spend 20 30 minutes together we'll assess your situation pretty quickly and we'll see if it makes sense for us to work together if we do If it makes sense, we'll embark on a journey for the next 8, 10, 12, 14 weeks, and hopefully we can find you really something great in franchising.
0: See, everybody, you know, don't do it yourself. Don't wonder what kind of franchises. If you're interested, uh, even in the concept of possibly owning a franchise, why not get a free consultation with Bob at FranchiseWithBob.com? Just alleviate some of the questions, you know, and, and it may persuade you to not do it or to do it. But anyway, always get help with the experts. Bob, I appreciate you coming on today. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. Hey, Mike, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Richard Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichergeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you and thanks for listening.